0: I can't go on. Hi folks, I'm Alan Ward and this is Cutting Through the Matrix on the 12th of April 2012. For newcomers, make sure you use the website CuttingThroughTheMatrix.com because there's so many audios on it for free downloads where if you can wade through it and keep your sanity, you'll begin to understand the system you're born into and why it's so well-managed at the bottom level. That's our, everybody's level, basically, uh, the bottom level, where you're given mainstream media. You're never given the real reasons why things are happening. You're given a, a sort of childish excuse as to why things are happening, but you suspect there's something else behind everything, and, of course, you're, you're quite right and um, I try and give you uh, the system, the system you're born into and explain it to you. It's beginnings, it's founders, uh, the organizations, it's set up, the foundations, hundreds and hundreds of foundations are set up to funnel money to non-governmental organizations, which really comprise the new democracy. If you don't belong to these NGOs, authorized NGOs, they're all bought and paid for by the big bankers, then you have no voice in anything at all. Because there's a one-world agenda, and it's a completely different way of living they're bringing you into. Mass austerity, you haven't seen anything yet. Uh, when you read the fanatics and the NGO websites, it's just astonishing where they're going to take you. Of course, they themselves are well paid by the foundations, uh, pension schemes and everything, and they won't be suffering. And, of course, people who have to attend international meetings can't live like, like you live at the bottom. They have to uh, have very smart clothes, attendants and chauffeur driven cars, and travel across the world while they don't want you to travel at all. And I'm not kidding about that. They have that in their various websites across the planet. It. So, the truth is out there. It's just that you, you're not taught how to read it. You're distracted by so many things that try and, and take you off into la-la land and so that you're not a problem. And, uh, of course, the media, as I say, is not there to help you. It's, it's there to constrain you and to keep you in the box. So help yourself to the website. Remember, too, you are the audience that bring me to you. The only way I get by here is by you buying the books and discs cutting through and and the orders are really slumped. So it's a touch-and-go situation. It's up to you if you want to hear this kind of stuff and uh, keep it going. It really is up to you. And um, because I don't have time just to churn out the books or get ghostwriters to do the stuff that everybody else does. That's how it's done, the most folk, you see. So... As I say, buy the books. And uh, from the U.S. to Canada, you can use personal check or international postal money order. Uh, you can use Send Cash or use PayPal. You'll find out how to do it at the website, cuttingthroudmitries.com. Across the world, Western Union, MoneyGram, and PayPal once again. And remember, straight donations are really, really uh, welcome, especially right now. Because I don't bring on advertisers as guests that have no shares and any products sold. And I certainly could take on advertisers and live very, very well, but I don't. Cause then you can have, a, 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 you've got obligations then to them and certain things you cannot perhaps say if you're asked an honest question. So I do it my way, which is the suicidal way, but that's okay. Uh, it's best to, you know, burn out and, and then just, just fade away. And that's what I do basically. Now, what I try and do, as I say, is go through history. You'd understand history to understand what's happening right now. Because, see, all the big boys get taught why empires rise, what causes them to rise, and what causes them to, to fall after a certain period of time. That's always the same patterns because the same money boys are always involved in it. When they move into a new area, they bring the cash in with them, and up come the ships. Then, then, of course, uh, mercantile ships are across the planet, trade, and then the banks start up. And it lasts for a long time until the society becomes rotten and overtaxed by the few at the top, the dominant minority. There's always a dominant minority, unfortunately. Back with more after this break. Hi, folks. I'm back, cutting through the matrix. It's it's uh, it's funny to look back and, and really see how things transpire, even throughout your own life, because you, if you really go into the the, the proper libraries and uh, and have been a habit of doing so, you'll understand that there's another world out there altogether compared to the one the media gives you, and. I actually think in history books, when you saw, saw plots happening, like gunpowder plots and things like that, and of course you always had plots between kings going to overthrow their cousins in some other country, and then they'd make up after the thousands of peasants were slaughtered, and then they'd marry off their daughters and things like that, and it was all right. So, I mean, but there was a lot of plotting going on, always plotting. But the biggest plotting is about government on the public if even the, the writings of Francis Bacon gives you an insight into it because I, he gave a kind of resume to the, to the king at one point and uh, it was about how to be conniving and cunning and how to keep the public in the dark on pretty well everything. And, of course, you go into Machiavelli, who was a fairly typical of his time. Remember, all kings had advisors, just like presidents, prime ministers have a, a battery of survivors behind, uh, of advisors behind them. And the advisors are, are, are really just really good psychopaths trained in marketing techniques and uh, uh, social behaviorism, the psychology of behaviorism for the general masses. And uh, and for marketing itself, marketing itself is a very important thing because from Bernays and even long before Bernays, uh, there were select peoples who were studying the populations even for centuries to do with how do you make them buy something they don't want or have never thought about and how do you make something appealing. So it's an old, old technique of observing the masses, and what works in one country generally works in another. So these characters get together and they become advisors to the puppets that we, you think that you put in. You don't put them in at all because, as I've mentioned before, the Council on Foreign Relations selects them from all parties. All the top guys belong to the same organization and have done for a uh, 100 years. And so we're, we're given um, a fake reality at the bottom. I always like to use the word proles, like George Orwell used, because throughout his book, 1984, he mentions uh, from the, a bureaucratic standpoint that the proles don't count. They never know what's really going on, and, and they don't really care to know. They get their pubs, and they get their, their songs churned out to them by machines in 1984. And even the departments of pornography run by the government that churn out all the porno stuff to keep them occupied, etc. It's much like today. I mean, it's pretty well that way, you know. It really is pretty well that way. I used to be intrigued going across Europe, and every castle you'd come to, uh, generally on a hill, so they could look down on the peasantry, they'd a long hill coming away from it, going downwards, You'd read the history and the towns, the town really was built around the castle and coming down all the way down into a valley area. And it was nothing but prostitutes and whorehouses and and booze cans. Uh, That's all they ever, ever, that's what you do for an army. Even today, they still have that kind of thing, you see. So they've used practical psychology all down through the ages to keep the proles, including all the troops, quite happy. And the troops get a, a bit better uh, um, food uh, and uh, pay than the average person, basically. And It doesn't matter how hard times get, they always, you always make sure that you're, you pay them well. Lenin said the same thing, and so did Stalin. He says, you must pay your, your police uh, good, good cash and your military and your teachers, because the teachers also uh, brainwash the next generation uh, into into their, their pro mentality, basically subservience. Uh, so that's what you live in now. Lots of folk are happy being proles. they're very happy because there's a lot of playtime involved, and it uh, doesn't matter the circumstances uh, as long as they can have their uh, electronic uh, entertainment, etc. Or get a forty party at the weekend, get absolutely drunk plastered uh, and fall all over the place, they generally call that okay because everyone else in their own peer group is doing the same thing. It's only when they can't afford to do that that they feel sorry for themselves and seek help from the health services and then they get drugs to make them feel happier. So you're living it in a controlled system. I can remember Thatcher said the same thing when she did away with the old uh, laws to do with when bars could open during the day because one time they closed around those it was 12 or, or, or 1 o'clock or something. And then they reopened again at 4 or 5 and then had to close by midnight. And she did away with a lot of that. So they are open all day. The reason, she said, was to keep the people, the youngsters especially, uh, uh, happy and entertained uh, and drunk. She says it's better than having them drunk and spending their welfare checks than out in the street protesting. So we we're managed, you see, as proles. And sometimes the temptation is quite nice, you know. I mean, yes, they can give you kind of wonderful bars at times when you're young. But uh, the thing is, they try and keep it like that for your whole lives. For the older folk, of course, television took over and they'd sit there at night and just take their beer, drop their jaw, their, their jaw, and just stare at that television until it was time to go to bed. And all the time they're being brainwashed with a lot of nonsense and doctrines coming from governments and they'd be downloaded with the doctrines, Uh, even when they're watching soap operas or whatever. Lots of messages in it too. So you're living in a scientific society, you understand, and you always have been. Some people are waiting for the scientific society. It's always been here. Science runs the people and keeps them in some form of order so that they'll obey their betters, those at the top, you see, the official people. And we're taught, of course, to be official people, because they say they're official. It's it's obedience to authority. Lots of books put out on obedience to authority. Lots of uh, ongoing books, of course, I'm sure we'll go on about too, uh, because they're so interested to find out why some people will rebel, you see. Very, very important part, in fact. And they know by their constant, constant studies and poll-taking across and testing in universities, Every, every generation, of, uh, is, uh, every year in fact, students, new, new intakes come in and go through the same tests, ask the same questions to make sure that uh, the, the boys who control are always up on what's needed. Do you have to do a tweak here or a tweak there to keep everybody dumb, stupid and, and crazy on sex. Basically that's what it is for university. That's really what it is, partying sex. But you learn very little. And anyway, even when you train for something, you won't get a job because we're now in austerity times and all the jobs are overseas. So when you st- stand back from it all, just stand back from it and look, look at it as it really is managed. And, and, then, and then you realize that, that it's incredible micromanagement that's going on. Look what's happened just since 9-11, even before 9-11. They, they passed anti-terrorism bills then, you know. Before anything happened, because when you go back to, to the talks, even by Maggie Thatcher, that she when she was doing her world tour on the coming new world order, as the she took Gorbachev around in her arm across the world, the head of the ex KGB and the president of, of the Soviet system, she she said that the next uh, wars will be to do with uh, uh, religious fundamentalism. She said primarily across the Middle East. And that was in the early 90s. So, you see, they, they were planning all this for many, many years before George Bush came in and, and before before you, you, they started the whole kit and off with the Middle East and and ongoing wars, you see. The only ones who weren't allowed in you know, on the, the, the big no were the general public. They are happy with soaps and movies and parties, etc., That's how we're trained. It becomes normalized, you see, and most folk don't think beyond it. In fact, most folk are trained never to participate in changing anything. That's an important part of governing peoples, is train them to sort of stay neutral and everything. Maybe turn up for elections because they'll vote for one of the two people that are presented to you, generally, who both belong to the Council on Foreign Relations. Then they think they've done their duty, and they go home, and then they complain about the government. So that's really how the world works. We we are under <laughs> micromanagement, micromanagement. And as Brzezinski said, uh, and it's so true. I tested that the other day. In fact, he said that the general public will shortly be unable to think for themselves. All they'll be able to do is talk about the previous night's news or what was on television. Uh, and this is that they will expect eventually that the the, the media is there to do the reasoning for them. Reasoning for them. Like an appendage to your brain, you know. And they do now. And that was written in the seventies. But I tested their the other day there because I knew it had been on the previous night's news and sure enough when I went out to a particular store the guy told me the man told me exactly what was in the, the news, and I was all plight and all that and said, Yeah mm-hmm. and and as long as you're plighting that they'll think you're one of them. You see? Uh, They don't like someone not being one of them. If you say something that's outside their ken, their knowledge, they're a bit suspicious, you see? Like, why are you reading those books? You know, I'm not kidding you. People are like that. Everyone belongs to some kind of group or they identify with some kind of group, even if it's just the general public. You know, that, that, that strange term, the general public. What does the general public mean? Go and look it up. So anyway... Slotting and scheming is always going on. And the greatest thing now is how to get us all, like a big herd, that's how they talk about us, like herd management, how to get us from where we are to where they want us to go, which is globalism, of course, and watching most of your food going offshore to elsewhere, that's a big part of it, austerity uh, of all kinds, uh, and also high energy bills and, and fees so that all your disposable income in a post-consumerist society, this officially declared, by the way, at the United Nations, was a few, quite a few years back. So, where your money will actually go, which is to, just to survive, just to get by, that's where your money will go. And the redistribution of wealth across the world, a la Karl Marx, you see, is, has already been officially declared. That's what we're doing. We've actually been doing it since World War II, but not as much as we are now. Because governments set up departments, at the UN to do that job at the end of World War Two, the Overseas Economic Development Corporations. You've all got one. Back with more after this break. Hi, folks, I'm Alan Watts. We're cutting through the Matrix and, and, and talking about reality. You know, It's a rare thing to talk about reality. And, as I say, you've got to understand history and at least peek into it now and then because you know, pretty well everything that's happened with techniques has happened in past times too. And today it's much, much better because they have, and George Orwell mentioned the same thing too, he said that never before, had the public really been so spied upon, they didn't have the technology to do it uh, in his day, uh, and even that, they had a lot in his day, they could, they could put cameras, micro-cameras and spy on you in the Cold War, etc. However, today is it's, it's everywhere, and we're helping them all by buying their, their, their spies, we're bringing their spies in their home with us. Some people even polish them and clean them, it's just astonishing how they take care of spies in their home, it's just, yeah, I can't understand it. But anyway... You know, that um, even the CIA director said the same thing. He says that the general public are helping us to spy. We don't to hire so many spies as we used to. So the polls, the people at the bottom, are always given, as I say, a fake reality. Lots of entertainment. Even Bacon mentioned that long before him to Plato. Because, you see, Plato mentioned that the, the sort of engines of the future that would drive what they called progress for this big agenda that he had in, in mind at the time. In the Republic, the Planned Society, where they'd literally breed the right kinds of humans for the right kind of jobs, all specialized. Uh, and, and Plato said that that uh, cities are unnatural. Naturally, of course, people are not meant to be crammed together like that. And he says, so in a city, you've got to give them lots of entertainment. And you, you read that on down through the centuries, wherever governments talked about creating cities. Because in cities, they get a dynamic engine. Everything's unnatural. Therefore, you can push culture to any limit you want. And the people inside the city will copy it and go that way. Because they have no natural roots, you see, in a city. It's all unnatural. And give them lots and lots of entertainment. You can alter the culture at a whim so easily, so quickly. They'll all adapt. Because they're all basically helpless for their food. All comes into them. Uh, they live on an artificial system called money. They don't grow money like and eat it like, like food. They grow it all, and the water has to come into them too. Everything has to be brought into them. But when it becomes toxic, and cities become toxic at a certain level of power, you see, they begin to turn on the agrarian sector, which is even the ancient Rome did it. It wasn't just the, 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 the Huns and the Goths and Visigoths and all the rest of them that, that attacked Rome. It was also the peasantry who were so sick of being taxed into the ground and losing their land. You see. But that's what the cities always do eventually. And then they start dictating how everybody outside the city should live. You still get that when city folk semi-retire, especially government bureaucrats, and move in to rural areas. They bring it all with them oh, we've got to get committees, you know, built on this and that, NGOs, non-government organisations, on this and that and the other. And their taxes all go up. So we, we live through the changes. Most folk don't notice them much at all. They adapt very quickly. And because everyone else is adapting at the same speed and time, they don't question it at all. Most folk really uh, simply look at their sanity and, and by bouncing it off other people, are they doing the same as I'm doing? Or or am I doing the same as they're doing? And then they all want to join them and be the same. Sameness is the, the character of the masses. Sameness, uniformity. So they, they don't really notice why, or, or they, they don't even need detailed, in-depth uh, explanations as to why things are happening at all. And and many of the big brochures, well, the the documents that are put out by uh, think tanks, they mention that fact. That if you want to lie to the public, don't don't give them elaborate explanations of the lie. Just tell them a simple thing, and and don't never never uh, expound on it. That's good enough. If you expound on it, it sounds like you're conning them. They'll pick that up. So just tell them a simple lie, and that's it. And that's good enough. And you have to accept that. Most folk in, in society, by statistics and by the studies that have been done for so many centuries, always bring about 80% of the public quite content. It wouldn't matter what flag they're waving or, or, or whatever, whoever's running it. They wouldn't really care if it was Godzilla monster. I mean, as, as long as most things are, are the same for them personally, they'll continue and they won't complain. That's just nature. That's human nature. But the other 20% you see can be a problem. So what the government does is tries to recruit them. That's why you have so many non-governmental organizations that are all on board with the big global agenda because there's a lot of, uh, a lot of uh, good opportunity for job growth, you know, and advancement once you get into these NGOs. And they all do that. There's incredible fighting with, within them. You of of, had this in the Soviet Union too, because the Soviet Union had n- nothing but non-governmental organisations ruled by councils. It meant Soviet, ruled by councils. Same things as what with communitarianism in Britain, ruled by councils, NGOs. And they had terrific battles uh, to see who was more Marxist than others. You know, and they try to pick, you know, pick up or, or trip up each other's on points of Marxism in theory to get to the top, where the big money was and power was. It's the same with all these NGOs. And that's why they all go into the, the, the global warming trip uh, and parrot all the right phrases. It's, you're not listening to a person anymore when you're talking to these characters. You're listening to a totally conditioned Marxist, basically. And again, Orwell, if you read Orwell's book, 1984, who goes through the process of double-think that bureaucrats all live by. Because when, when a new thing comes out from the United Nations, even if it's opposite of what they we're talking about, they'll, they'll still all parrot it suddenly as though it would always been that way. To show that they're so politically correct. And everyone's in step with each other at the same time. It's amazing. Former form of madness. And you better be very, very scared of mad people because these people are fanatics. And we know the damage fanatics have caused down through history, even recent history. Back with more after this. You're listening to the Republic Broadcasting Network. Because you can handle the truth. Hi, folks. I'm Alan Watt. We're cutting through the matrix, talking about being fearful of these fanatics because they are fanatics. And I've, uh, over the past, you get the archives at at you You'll see. Some of the talks I gave about the fanatics within uh, these global organizations who want to cull us off, and they say it openly. They want to bring down the population, cull a lot of us off, just kill us, basically, sterilize the rest, and yada, yada, yada. Now, here's one here. It's head of NASA calls for global governance through carbon taxes. Now, technically, you see, all this global warming stuff was an idea they came up with to take over every individual's life. That was the idea that the Club of Rome came up with. And I've gone over that so many times. That was their actual dilemma, was how to bring in global governance. They needed an excuse to do it. So they thought, you know, climate change, global warming and famine and drought would fit the bill. And so hype it up, hype it up, and then grab taxes, etc., and then distribute across the world. The redistribution of wealth, as they call it, doesn't go to where you think it goes. It goes to the corporations. They're all behind this uh, across the whole planet. But here's the head of NASA, calls for global governance through carbon taxes, you see, and I've always said that that's what it's for. It's essential to get all the cash to to fund all this and to rise the United Nations up to its proper height, you see. Now, James Hansen, he's, he's been in the paper so many times, head of NASA's Goddard Institute for Space Studies, is a global warming supporter who has called for global taxes on carbon emissions. In the past, Hansen has endorsed environmental terrorism and genocide in the name of returning the Earth to the Agrarian Age. Now, the guy should be locked up. Because he has, he's an eco terrorist. He has gone and smashed dams and with whole and howls, herds these these screaming creatures of environmentalists, the fanatics, uh, and tries to bust dams down and things like that. You know, he's been caught doing it many times. But of course, he's a special person, and he gets off with it. You see. Mrs. says Hanson endorsed a book by his climate change comrade Keith Farnish, where Farnish calls for act of sabotage and environmental terrorism by destroying dams and cities in order to force the coming agrarian age. That's when you get back to being a peasant on land again, you know, and you talk about that strange dialects and you talk about farming labs and stuff like that, you know, and how was your turnips? And that's what they want us all to be. Of course they want, because they're all scientists at the top, they have to get, live high above the, the, the common herd. And uh, so they won't be helping you with your turnips, or your manure for that matter. It says Farnish stated the only way to prevent global ecological collapse and thus ensure the survival of humanity is to rid the world of industrial civilization and it will die, and the people will die in huge numbers when civilization collapses. These are the fanatics. They're getting funded with your tax money because your government also funds these NGOs, by the way. And the big bankers, through their foundations, fund them incredibly well and give them pension plans and everything. Uh, and even, you know, all travel expenses for their buses and that when they go to raid dams and stuff, you know, break them up. The author authors also says that massive depopulation is a requirement for saving earth. You know, it's theirs. You understand it's theirs. You're, you're an interloper here. You're, you're, you belong to the extinct species that died off in the past. You just haven't died yet. That's the that's problem, you see. In short, the greatest immediate risk to the population living in the conditions created by industrial civilization is the population itself civilization has created the perfect conditions for a terrible tragedy on the kind of scale never seen before in the history of humanity. That is one reason for there to be fewer people. So in order to stop this this terrible catastrophe happening, they want to kill you. Farnish claims that through random acts of eco-terrorism, the collapse of the industrial countries can be achieved. Now he's talking about the so-called first world countries. He's not talking about the third world countries. They've got this strange, you know, hate relationship with with the first world, but they, they were always also this this o- o- gloating and, and over ooh, abundance of, of, of a plethora of warm things for the third world, you know, that they'll be lording over, of course, as long as they're lording over it. Unloading essentially means the removal of an existing burden. For instance, removing grazing uh, domesticated animals so your farms are all, all going to go. That's why they're attacking all the farms across you know the Western world and Australia. Raising cities to the ground, blowing up dams and switching off the greenhouse gas emissions machine. The process of ecological unloading is an accumulation of many of the things I've already explained in this chapter, along with an almost certainly necessary element of sabotage. Right. And The Guardian reports in his lecture, Hansen will argue that the challenge facing future generations from climate change is so urgent that a flat rate global tax is needed to force immediate cuts in fossil fuel use. What it is, folks, is to bring you down to your beyond subsistence level and foods and everything else and so that you can die off if you cannot put two and two together. Hansen certainly agrees with man-made climate change alarmists like Carrie Norgard, who calls sceptic racists uh, who should be drugged. Hansen is not concerned about the rise in fuel costs due to carbon tax, only that this tax is necessary to save the planet. In response to Hansen's lecture, the physicist Lubos Motel said in a speech, people around Hansen have stopped interacting with scientists or sensible people in general many years ago. They're not even trying to hide anymore that they have switched from attempts to find valid answers to scientific questions, a challenge in which they've failed miserably to pure political activism. Hansen also wants to introduce a global government. Well, they all want that. So do the big boys, you see. That's why they use guys like Hansen. Under the Global Carbon Tax Proposal, the mechanisms for controlling fossil fuels used will be taken out of the hands of individual states, influenced by energy companies and politicians anxious about winning elections. So, I'll put this link up and it goes on and on and on and on too, but it's all much the same stuff. For those, and then the people who listen to this broadcast and have listened to past ones, know what's going on. I don't explain it to you. You already understand the agenda, how it's implemented and how these, how these so-called opposing groups are all working together, including the activists alongside the guys with the oil who all attend the Copenhagen meetings and, and are all for it, because they want a world too, where you'll pay through the nose for you know your quart of oil to go in your car, just like the electricity guys will we'll, we'll get about 100 times more profit than they're getting right now for giving you one-tenth of what you get right now. It's all worked out that way. Also tonight too, for those who just adapt and adapt and, you know, adapt and adapt and yawn. I've mentioned this one before, but I'll do it again. Joint Special Operations University report on convergence of special forces and civilian law enforcement it's for US. They're the same one for Britain. And In fact, Britain announced, and I've mentioned it in the past too, that special forces now and the paratrooper, which are pretty much up there with the special forces, are going to help the cops with any future riots. But for the U.S., it says, in recent years, there's been an apparent convergence of the operations conducted by special operations forces, SOF and those civilian law enforcement agencies, which are called LEAs, especially Special Weapons and Tactics SWAT units, and what were formerly separate and distinct missions, the requirements to obtain warrants prior to execution of raids for high-value targets, collect and preserve evidence for criminal prosecution, and on occasion present testimony in courts of law are new missions for the SOF. Uh, they're not relatively simple uh, changes in the rules of engagement or comparable techniques. As far as can be determined, previously no U.S. military combat arms unit has ever been tasked with such a mission during combat operations. The thesis is straightforward. If such missions are to continue, then considerations must be given to adequate training for them. So they're blending in uh, laws, basically, the laws, the civilian laws, into the special forces and everybody else who's interacting with them, the ordinary police and so on. Because they can't just go smashing doors in and go off and raping children in the middle of the night and killing on them all and stuff like that, like they do overseas. At least not yet. Give them time. Uh, and no one will pay any attention to it. I'm talking about authorities, that is. I'll put that up tonight as well. Now, I tech, so many techniques. What I've always happens when this same bunch gets in, because it's the same bunch, actually, that funded uh, socialism, nat- either the communist form of socialism, and they also funded the Nazis, you understand, under IG Farben Group. All the big boys, all the big General Motors and so on, all were part of the IG Farben Group, the Bayer Corporation too, for Pharmacology, and, uh, and many, many others all belonged to that. And that's how Hitler got his war machine going, from the Western corporations. None of them were, were put in prison for it. Uh, a few of them were fined a, a, a token, and that was all. But uh, without that, there'd be no Second World War without the corporations in the West. But you always find, find when um, socialism takes over, especially in the communistic types, uh, you, you always have a mass and f- massive famine as they get all the folk off the land, you see, and then end up killing all the farmers, or at least at least taking them off the land, generally kill them all. And in Ukraine, they, they, they starve them to death by taking all their grain from them while at the same time Lenin or or Stalin exported the grains from Ukraine overseas for a profit. But they always do the same thing. And you understand too, in the Soviet system, remember the bankers created both systems. They already had capitalism, and they they create the dialectic called communism. Today you've got them both together, you see. That's how it's supposed to end up. And... As I say, they, they starve the people, and then they tell them to go out. All the youngsters go out and work the land. You have to do so many years every year, or so many months every year, working on the lands to get you to appreciate the fact where your food comes from and all that kind of stuff. And you, you'll get it back soon again. That's all part of it, you know. The ones that they let live, that is. But they also used science. They, see, in this modern age, which is socialistic, communistic, but run by the fascists at the top, a wonderful combination, eh? Um, you, you find that um, they really believe that science is a new god. And they did crazy things in the Soviet Union, like Lysenko, and the Lysenko affair, where, where Stalin took a shine to Lysenko in, in his theories, where they could force plants to evolve to grow in cold climates by forcing them, you know, scientifically, like put them in cold water and start freezing them, then putting them up in the, the frozen north and... Uh, uh, never ever works, but they didn't stop him from praising him and giving him awards. And that's what you also find, too, with these fanatics like they have today. But they also used his, uh, Pavlovian techniques in the schools. Pavlov wasn't just practicing with dogs. He also used children, by the way, and put probes in their brains, cut open their jaws just like the dogs, and put in probes here to get them to salivate and do things like that, too. This great Pavlov. The same guy that H.G. Wells went over to sea and left his son there to train with Pavlov, who eventually came came over to the States and and to New York and became a zoologist and and worked with the eugenicists for America. (laughs) Anyway, you understand they're still using this technique today uh, of shocking and behavior modification because, you see, the communists said that if they couldn't recondition you, then they would take you off to these reconditioning camps when they first took over, to get you to be politically correct and, and have double think, proper double think you see then 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 they'd have to kill you but they first gave you a chance generally to to, to succumb and say yes, yes uh, you, you, Marxism is the best thing that the world has ever seen in its our saviour, etc now it's global warming and we've got to combat that and green in the planet green, green, green if you can't say that, you're off to the chop shop and believe you me, when you read, an article like this one, I'm about to read, is very important because it means, like all universities and schools that do strange things, uh, you, you, like Harvard and all the rest of them, and um, they're doing incredible studies with government backing. There's always government backing involved because they're interested in studying the victims. You see, video reveals teen a teen's electroshock torture at Massachusetts school. And it says, a video that the school in Massachusetts has fought in court for years to keep under wraps was played in public for the first time this week, revealing the torture of a disabled boy through the use of repeated electric shocks. This is in the U.S., eh? Massachusetts. It says, the Judge Rottenberg in his certain was Rotten Center in Clayton or Caton, Massachusetts, has for years been pushing back against allegations of flippant use of electric shocks and other abuses against its special needs students and it's managed to keep video central to a case brought by one former student's uh, mother under wraps. Now the public knows why. Footage played in the court this week and catapulted, or, or catch, captured by a local Fox News affiliate shows former student Andrew, Andrew McCollins, then a disabled 18-year-old, strapped to a table and screaming savagely in pain as faculty applied 31 individual jolts of electricity, Over the course of seven hours, he was ultimately hospitalised. JRC lawyers insist the shots were applied as a part of a treatment routine meant to pacify mentally and emotionally troubled students. You're going to get this stuff done on you one day by all these green nutcases, and I'm not kidding about this. I'm not really kidding about this at all. And McCollins was just one of the many who've undergone this this so-called therapy. They also claim he was aggressive and therefore needed the treatment. Security camera footage revealed, however, that the boy's prolonged torture was brought on when he refused to, to remove his jacket in class. Oh, high crime. It's like you not bowing down to the green goddess, eh? His mother, Cheryl, told a jury this week that she never agreed to the procedure and that she had no idea that they tortured children in the school. She added that he happened to be, he appeared to be catatonic during a family visit three days after the incident. Well, so would you be, yeah. That if you survived, that is. The video was filmed in 2002, was sealed by another judge eight years ago amid a lawsuit filed up by McCollum's mother, but a higher court ordered it to be displayed to the public earlier this week. That means they've got all the data they need after all these years and years of experimentation on these students. That's why, obviously, they're not going to put it out now, you see. And the trial is still ongoing. But this was given permission to go on for years and years. Remember reading about it years ago. They use all this data to see if they can recondition all of you one day, you see. And it will happen. Not all of you. I mean, most folks, I say, are within 80%. They'll go green. They'll go go whatever until it's part of their vocabulary. And, you know, so have a green day. You too. You know. Now, I knew too that years ago, uh, eventually you'll just have your iPhone. Basically, you'll plug it into a into a booth somewhere and you're plugged into the net. Well, here it is, New York City. It's new eyes. It eyes the new phone booths, it says. The city plans to unveil 32 inch smart screens with internet connections next month inside 250 old phone booths throughout the five boroughs. The pilot program will replace crusty telephones that most New Yorkers wouldn't touch with their bare hands. And the futuristic screens could eventually replace all the city's 12,800 outdoor payphones whose franchise contracts with the city expire on October 2014. The free touch screen technology will display local neighborhood information, endless restaurants and so on and so on. And also monitor you back with more after this break. Hi folks, I'm back, and just before I go to a caller, I'll also put up a link, to, I'll put all these links up tonight, plus this one, it's the Guardian Classroom, at it again, Revolution, Flash Mobs and Brain Chips, A Grim Vision of the Future, Revisited, and it goes through the Guardian, it's also got me there, yapping on about something or other, and um, uh, so I'll put that up at com at the end of of the, oh, that's okay, the caller's not there, so I can actually do this one, it's the Guardian, it says, it says so the following article appeared in The Guardian on Monday, April 19th, 2012, and I've got it actually up here. It's talked about riots uh, may be controlled with chemicals, police firing chemicals, and it shows you them at uh, rioters in search for less lethal weapons, such as plastic bullets, to deal with civil disorder, which is coming, obviously, since you're going to austerity, and the riots may be controlled with chemicals, etc. It says the future riots could be quelled by projectiles containing chemical irritants fired by police using new weapons that are now in the final stages of development. They have all this stuff developed years ago. And one of them is called the discriminating irritant projectile, which is DIP, D-I-P. Yeah, I'll give you your chips. Has been under development by the Home Office's Centre for Applied Science and Technology. This is, well, this is a weapons industry, Centre for Applied Science and Technology. Documents obtained by the Guardian revealed that last summer's riots in England provided a major impetus to Home Office research into new generation riot control technology ranging from the DIP to even more curious weaponry described by CAS technicians as skunk oil. The briefing uh, by CAST for the Police Service of Northern Ireland says that last year's disorder sparked a surge of ideas to the Home Office for the public as well as companies manufacturing police technology. To capitalise on the interest, CAST convened a brainstorming event in October. Everything's a make-work project now for cops and military, isn't it? Participants included Police from London, Northern Ireland, Police Federation, Serious Organised Crime Agency and the Ministry of Defence's Defence Science and Technology Laboratory. No idea is too stupid or off the wall to consider the briefing notes. I mean, it must be throwing cash out like crazy for all this wacky stuff. And then at the November briefing, uh, the development of new, less lethal technologies, suggests that the dips would be loaded into guns used to fire the existing generation of plastic bullets, and they would be intended to be accurate at a range of up to 65 metres. It's understood that DIP, which was originally supposed to have been introduced in 2010, would be loaded with CS gas, pepper spray, or other irritants. of will acid in there, and your clothes will melt off you and your skin, too. Other parts of the briefing released under the Freedom of Information Act refer to a need in the short term by police to develop counter-laser dazzle. They've got that stuff, too. They've got these flashlights you can shine in your eyes, and it's supposed to um, put you into sort of a quasi-schizophrenic uh, state, basically. And it says... Um, that's all they have to do, actually, is, is point them in the direction of the crowds. It says large selections of the briefings were redacted by the Home Office, which designated them as commercially sensitive. It means that the public would be too chuffed to know what was happening. You know. However, the Guardian understands that the less lethal technologies discussed include heat rays and sound weapons. One weapon that particularly interested the police officers was something cast technicians referred to as skunk oil. Well, they'd like that, eh? And The system would involve pellets containing foul-smelling liquids being fired from weapons similar to paintball guns. Such would be the smell that individuals hit by the pellets would want to go home and change their clothes, while associates would be reluctant to stay close to them. I wonder if it would be so stinky that the cops don't want to come near you either. <laughs> well, there's no end to it, is it? Because you see, it's all coming down, folks. Step by step, here, there, different times, it all comes down. And you all adapt to it instead of standing up now and, and saying enough is enough. No austerity and uh, no carbon taxes, uh, no throwing your cash money across the planet to the big corporations. But who's going to do it, eh? From Hamish, Mussel from Ontario, Canada, it's good night to me, your God, or your gods go with you.